everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. Baby Lou is in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 49. When do you think we're going to start incorporating Betty into that intro? When we have a creative way to do it that sounds slick. It took us, what, 25 episodes to come up with our current intro? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any ideas? Just saying the kids are in bed. The kids are, well, Betty's hanging off of me in breastfeeding half the time we're doing this. Yeah, so that it sounds would be a little a lie. dishonest. Would be a lie, yeah. See, we got to think of a way. Listeners, have any ideas? Send them our way. We need help. But until then, I guess we're just going to have to keep on motoring. And let's motor on because this episode tonight is very exciting. We have Ashley Calling Bull. So Ashley is a Canadian Indigenous woman. She was Mrs. Universe. She is a model, actress who was absolutely incredible to talk to. Yeah, it was an intense episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, she's Mrs. Universe, uh, which is great, but she's all she used that platform after winning Mrs. Universe to kind of talk about her being a sexual abuse survivor. I listened to it's called Red Talks. Yes, it's like a version of TED Talks for Indigenous people, and it was intense. Like I was bawling my eyes out before the interview, and this is a maybe our most important episode ever like i would say so uh to date and ashley has been a longtime advocate for first nations rights and now with her platform she's able to do that more so this is a really incredible episode and a conversation that you don't want to miss yeah like i just finished editing it and it's like with me this episode i can see your eyes watering right now i was just thinking because she's so like real you know like you'd ask her a question and she would just hit you with the yeah. honest truth and not sugarcoat anything you're making my eyes water actually yeah, just yeah it was just we did the zoom call maybe three weeks ago and i really haven't thought too much about our conversation since but seeing you get emotional right now is um is making me feel the way i did during the conversation yeah and she's a nike She's, She's supported the face of a by- Nike campaign right now. And it is really incredible. She is doing so much work now modeling and acting within Canada and internationally. And she's just kind of a force to be reckoned with, with an incredible message behind her. Mm-hmm. So- and Calling Bull's her real name. I, actually, <laughs> I thought it was a moniker because she's like calling people out on their bullshit. But no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just super fitting which i i do call out in the interview how fitting it is but. yeah and to go along with ashley we have amy webb who is another advocate however she's a disability advocate and she is a writer and an artist she has a daughter with a disability that i cannot say right now because there's a name for it she doesn't yeah. refer to the name she just says her child has uh multiple limb differences Mm -hmm. yeah she kind of simplified it for us but she gets into it in the episode it's really interesting and we started thinking about this when lucy was commenting on a person Mm -hmm. in a wheelchair who rode by our house and it was kind of an awkward moment for me and i didn't really know how to handle it and you know you think of race being in an awkward moment so often like if lucy sees somebody of a different race i'm i was a little tense but the fact is Lucy's been exposed to a lot of people of different race, but very little she's been exposed to people with disabilities. Only, I, I really, in my mind, I think Lucy has only seen able-bodied people. Right. At least in close contact. So this woman's an author. She has a book about it. And yeah. I think people really should start thinking about exposing their children to uh, mm-hmm. her book and books like it because just for yourself, you're setting yourself up for an extremely <laughs> awkward situation if you don't because you see less disabled people, at least where we are, than 
people of other races like we live at near toronto which is you know one of the most diverse places in the world yeah no so it's a really great episode for having tough conversations for kind of getting us on the right path to engaging in you know certain discussions and doing the right thing so please take a listen we do know you like and we hope that you are impacted as much as we were after these conversations but anywho we got some drinks in front of us we got some drinks shane let's get started Cheers, These aren't love. just any drinks. They aren't. Taste it first. These are Alex-made cocktails, non-alcoholic cocktails, spicy lip. Seed lip cocktail. So, dear, tonight we are drinking. It's called honey. And the mm. fun fact I don't taste honey it, in this. There is honey in it, and it, you know what it does? Well, I'm just saying I don't taste it. It just takes an edge off the bitterness. You're not really supposed to taste it. Okay. okay. I'm not, it's not a complaint. It's, it's more of an <laughs> you, observation okay. than anything. Do you taste a little hint of sweetness? Let me taste it a bigger sip. Yeah, I do. Well, there you go, honey. Okay, Okay, listen, <laughs> listen to my fact. When excavating Egyptian tombs, archaeologists found 3,000-year-old honey that was still perfectly edible. Wait, there's not 300-year-old honey in this, is there? Uh, I said 3,000-year-old honey, and no, there is not. That's just the fact to go along with the drink. But what do you think? <laughs> I honey think 3,000-year-old no? is a long time. But yeah, um, this drink is great. It's refreshing as always. I, uh, I'm so thirsty right now, too, so I'm really loving this. <laughs> I'm also so sick of drinking real alcohol. Yeah. Because we were, as maybe people know, we took two weeks off. We were at a cottage to kind of reset and record interviews for the pod so we could kind of get four weeks ahead of ourselves, which we like to do. And we drank a lot. I drank every day. Now. I had so, a drink every day. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's it's fun and all, but... It stopped working after a while, and I couldn't even get, like, a healthy buzz. And I'm like, geez, I just drank seven beers, and I'm bloated. <laughs> seven beers. Yeah. I got so bloated. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, w- I would have seven drinks yeah. in a day. And, I, and I, I wasn't, like, out of control. No, I know. I was Plus, in control, saying, I you say. saying, But you saying that you couldn't feel it after seven beers, like, shows how regular it mm-hmm. became. But this is this is so refreshing, and I just I, it feels lighter to drink. Yeah, and it's it could be considered more relaxing in a way because sometimes i get worried about the calorie intake because you have seven beers it's almost 800 (laughs) calories if you're supposed to have 2500 calories in a day for a man it just adds up and i think about these things and i i try not to but i really do obsess and i gained a bit of weight over the cottage and uh, i know you've been thinking about your weight a lot yeah yeah Unless- i just i haven't been feeling good and i have to say eating and drinking like i was when we were on vacation like we were eating guys like bowls of chips every night followed by ice cream followed by popcorn after like a five course meal and you every day. Uh, one night you ate a full cake for dinner <laughs> and i wish i did no. but um yeah i just i felt so great mentally but very very physically sluggish upon coming home mm-hmm. and you well know, i felt like even on the trip you were we had a discussion about and i'm not sure if you want to talk about it or if i can say this word or might beep it out we can't say no, 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 no. why i almost started crying when you first said it oh okay uh, <laughs> okay so i can't talk about that all right i'll beep that okay you you talk <laughs> so yeah we were just feeling really sluggish and not ourselves and honestly it's so nice to come back home get in a regular routine and a part of our regular routine is seed lip drinks instead of alcoholic drinks so i'm so happy to be here tonight drinking seed lip with you 
Well, yeah, I hadn't really drank before that trip, and uh, I didn't really stop during the trip. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I do have some topics written down well, here. Oh, continue. Oh, well, we're, we're talking about the vacation, so I want to get yeah, your Yeah, my input. topics are about the vacation. All right, well, let's hear them. No, what do you input about what? Your trip. How did you feel? Well, <laughs> give me your topics. You do it. No, no. You sound for... like you have it segmented. <laughs> I just like the way you said segmented. Like How would two... you say it? Segmented. Segmented is what you said. Segmented. Okay. That sounds dirty. The word has lost all meaning. <laughs> Point is, I was going to talk about the trip. We were, we were gone for two weeks. First half, you and your mom really were going at each other yeah and uh it seemed like unnecessary on, on both sides you know it was unnecessary on both sides it reminds me of us a little bit if we were at each Nick. other more and i just had to pull you aside and just be like alex like i know you're comfortable with your mom to have all these little nitpicky arguments and you think it's just about you and your mom but this is making me extremely uncomfortable to mm -hmm. go near you because it was like just as an example of an argument you would maybe brush her and your mom would be like, excuse me? Be like, what? Oh, sorry, I didn't know I hit you. Well, you didn't say anything. And it's like, oh, I my know, God. And it I, was know, like, it I know, I know. It wouldn't end. I know. And the, the, it's funny because we will get at each other constantly sometimes. And I think that... <laughs> constantly sometimes. <laughs> no, but it, it doesn't happen like that every time we're away. Like, thinking about our vacation in Florida, it wasn't like that. Yeah, you're always sometimes at each other. <laughs> and the thing is, when you get down to it, it's like, I call her twice a day, every single day. I love her so much. And she's such a good friend to me, as well as a mom. And there's no reason why we need to be at each other. Like, we can. Like, just, there's so much love and so much help and so much friendship. So it doesn't make sense that we would be allowing each other to always get on each other's nerves. So after the first week, when everybody had gone home and it was just you, me, and my mom, uh, we sat down, my mom and I sat down and hashed things out. And we both agreed. It's like, yeah, you know, you can make me feel bad when you do this. I can make you bad when I say this. And is there anything deeper behind it? And there, there isn't. Like, there's zero depth to these little nitpicky things. And I'm curious how many listeners have these relationships with one of their parents or somebody close to them where there's nothing to it, but you can kind of drive each other crazy for no reason. So we hashed it out, and then we both made a conscious effort to just lay off a little bit. It was bit. way better. Week two yeah. was so much better than week one. And especially because when your dad left, because your dad left for a brief, for a day or two in the two-week period, mm -hmm. and then it was just me, your mom, and you. And I was really scared. No, you weren't, were I you? Swear, I swear to you, just because you guys were like at the height yeah. of it, and there, I had no buffer person. But then it, it was great, and I, I loved the, hanging out with everyone. And I guess my theory is that it's that no one can annoy you like a person who's like yourself. Yes. So sometimes I'll be at like out at a party or something, well, pre-COVID, and there'd be a guy there, and he'd kind of be acting like me or awkward in the way I am. And I'm like, this guy sucks, you know? But I'm just like, because he's like me, and yeah. I know what he's doing, and I don't like it. <laughs> so, but behind your person, like persona at a party, would you say there's a lot of thought? It's just I don't like a person's personality <laughs> like mine. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You and your mom are very alike, mm -hmm. but I'll notice a difference when you're arguing. You're the Shane, and your mom is the Alex when you're arguing, right? Because it's everything's about your tone being off or you not saying. Well, here's the thing. And I wish you had somebody that would make you feel like the Alex in an argument. Because 
knowing that both sides of it kind of from when I argue with you and when I argue with my mom I get each person's perspective so well so I get when I could be giving off a bad tone and I get when I could you know be hurt by tone and I need you to have somebody that's like giving you shitty tone so that you could be like ah this is what Alex is talking about I don't like shitty tone either. I just don't think my tone is shitty. No, no, and that's the thing. And sometimes my mom will be like, Alex, your tone is, she doesn't say shitty, but she'll be like, Alex, like, what's that tone? I'll be like, it's fine, because then that will make me mad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I didn't mean to have bad tone, but I did. Like, I, I would have had not nice tone. And that's what you do. Hmm. But yeah, no, things were so much better after that. And uh, I love my mama. And we... We were going to have her on here to have like a therapy session, yeah. but I think your dad kind of pointed out that his generation doesn't like um, hashing things out in the public eye. Yeah, plus thinking about it, there's honestly nothing to discuss because there's nothing behind this nitpicking. So it's just, I think I think it would be useless, but yeah, looking to improve that relationship, one, not getting mad at a nitpick at a time. Okay, I have on my list here... Gross belly button. We have a baby with a gross belly button. Oh my gosh, do we ever. And she's sitting on me right now in a carrier making lots of noise. So that's what you guys hear. But she has a belly button, an umbilical hernia. And Lucy had a little one. But it was nothing like this monster. Like this is, what would you say, an inch high and an inch and a half wide? Can I say it looks like a a dick? It looks like a small penis. I was worried you were not going to love it. <laughs> no, no, it does. It looks like a small penis. And uh, if you look them up online, umbilical hernias on babies, that's what they look like. Who's got a bigger one? Not you. She is. <laughs> really? Are you serious? Not actually, but my joke is that they're comparable. Okay, good. <laughs> I like it. Um, but yeah, so like Shane, when you're changing her diapers, cause you have, what's it called? It's called, I can't even say it, but it's called like um, omlifolia. It's, it's a phobia belly buttons yes. and I have it. And when you change your diaper, how do you not vomit? It's very disgusting experience for me. I, I don't like to think about it. I don't like to look at it. I can handle it, but it sends a shiver down my spine. Cause so I was reading up online like when to worry about an umbilical hernia and they say when it turns either dark in color, when it turns red, or if you can't push it back in. So now every day I'm just ensuring that I can get pushed back in. Well, you uh, you duct tape like a coin around Well, I'll tummy. get there. Okay. But I'm spending time trying to see like just once a day if I can push it back in just to make sure that the uh, intestine hasn't like gotten caught or something because that's what it is, eh? It's an yeah, intestine. Yeah, it's grossing me out. So I've gotten to the point where now every day when I go to push it in, I am trying so hard not to gag. And I don't even mind belly buttons. And it is freaking me out that much. Yeah, it's no good. I don't like it. I hope she grows out of it. Everyone in my family has a weird belly button. <laughs> my uh, my dad has a weird one. What's his belly button like? It's a, it's a total Audi. It's a very hernia looking belly button. I've got a, I don't know. Yeah, what's yours, is, yours is weird. What's wrong with it? It's like a total hernia, Shane. Is it? Yes. It's a hernia. Like, I don't know if you should get it checked out when they need to maybe... I've gone to have it checked out. And the guy started feeling around. (laughs) And I was like, oh. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, I have a fear of belly buttons. And I thought he would... (laughs) Like, he's a doctor. I thought he would understand. Like, oh, if I know that, uh, that's a fairly... Yeah, yeah. Like, he was, like, acting like I'm a weirdo. You are. But that's beside the point. He's a medical professional. And he should take that a little bit seriously. Yeah, he was like, okay... I'm like, yeah, yeah, fear of belly buttons. It's almost, <laughs> I, I think I actually knew the term at the time. He's like, you could. He's like, get a surgery, but he's like, you don't need it. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess unless it's like grows or your intestines are really it's definitely sticking gross. out. Is it? Well, has it gotten bigger? I don't know. I want to get cosmetic surgery so it looks like a normal belly button. It looks fine. It's honestly, it, like you have to look really close. And I also only know that it's weird because you've told me it's weird. So going into the situation, I know it's a hernia. <sighs> uh. If you would only let me like me somehow monitor it for you. How? Why? Just so we know when we should. I look get at it all the done. time. Yeah, but I you hate don't touch it. it. No, you can't touch it. It's, <laughs> it hurts me. Okay, what would happen if I was to try to push back in? I'd freak out. I would freak what out. What would the freak out be like? Are you like gonna accidentally like swing at me? Like, because people, you know, like as no, a reaction. I'd, I'd scream and maybe cry. <laughs> <You'd> cry? <laughs> maybe. Why? Because I'm freaked out. I don't know why. But what? What about it would bring you to the point of tears? I wouldn't actually cry. I, I would just be very uncomfortable where I'd shudder and scream and say, ah. See, this was the most shocking thing it's for co- me to learn about Your brother's you. girlfriend has the exact same phobia. Shane, you're the only person I had met, though, up until the point that we had met, that I knew didn't like belly buttons. It's not that I don't like them. I have a, well, that's what I mean. an irrational fear. That's what I mean. Yeah. So not only is it that you don't like them, but you have a fear of them. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's even more intense I don't like mushrooms, but I, I'll rub a mushroom all day. I'll put it in my mouth. You'll rub I'll, a mushroom all I'm day. just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I could touch a like, mushroom. <laughs> a regular person might throw it in a salad, but Shane's going to sit there rubbing it. I'm saying if I had to make a salad and someone wanted mushrooms, I could handle the mushroom and cut it up and whatnot. If you guys need a Shane-handled mushroom, just let us know. Alex, you're not good at comedy. I think that's so funny. I know. It, it's not not funny, but I'm, I'm saying I couldn't touch a belly button for half a second. No, I, I could manhandle a mushroom ball for a while. No, I get that. So there's a difference between like not liking something and having abject terror when you are confronted with dealing yeah. with it. No, absolutely. And sometimes you joke about it and you'll be like, oh, don't go near my belly button. But it's not funny for me. I was just shocked because on our first date, I wore a belly top and I wear belly tops quite frequently and you seem to like them. And what's front and center in a belly top? Yeah, but I I don't look at the belly button area. I liked your, you had a nice physique. You looked good. (laughs) It, you know, it was, it showed your body off in all the right places. I thought, I thought it was my belly button that sold you on me. No. And you have a belly button, uh, like at one point you had a. I had a piercing. yeah, Yeah. I hate that. I hate when you can see the scar from the piercing. Well, not only that, but it's now, like, I have a stretch mark from pregnancy where the scar, like, where the piercing was. Gross. So it's all, no, I'm all kinds of interesting now. Okay. I, I'm going to see if... Uh, yeah, yeah sure. Okay, so, knowing baby's gone. Okay, I just have two more things. Mm. So you've been trying to work out doing 12,000 steps a day. Skinny Confidential said... Well, if, I so... Okay, yeah. I'm not doing 12,000 steps a day because I don't have a reader. and you, you just have it on your phone. It's a step counter. Yeah, but Every phone I, don't has think it. it's, I don't think it's reliable. Um, you so, download an app. They're reliable. I promise you. Okay, I will. But yeah, I'm trying to get in as many steps as I can in the day. Because first of all, I haven't been able to do anything. I think of the last time I was working out, it was before I got pregnant with Betty. Like in the miscarriage time. Because then the second I got pregnant with her, I was so sick for 16 weeks. I was throwing up 15 times a day. So I, like, I couldn't work out. And the couple times I tried, remember you and I were going to the gym? And mm-hmm. then I'd have to keep leaving to throw up in the bathroom. 
like in the middle of our workout. It was awful. So I haven't done anything. And I've been a very active person, an athlete my entire life since like October. So I've been number one, just moving because I'm like thrilled to be able to friggin' move again and to walk without being in pain or without throwing up. And it feels amazing. And also just to, you know, get to a place that I feel comfortable with fitness wise and weight wise, because I'm not there and I do feel sluggish and it like weighs on me mentally. Like just, I just feel not myself. Yeah, nice speech, Alex, but I'm getting into the topic here, Sorry. okay? <laughs> it's fine. I thought uh, you were asking about that. No, no, I was just beginning my topic. Uh, so you're trying to do more steps. Yes. I have a solution that I think will not only give you a lot more steps in your day, but could potentially save our marriage. I don't want to clean the what? What? You said clean the house? I, I know you don't want to clean, Alex. I know that. I don't want to clean either. Yeah. And I don't want to come on here all holier than thou mm. and act like I'm some great cleaner because I'm not. I'm an effing mess. One thing I'm better at than you is puttering. And I love this term where, for instance, when I was at your cottage, I was always just kind of like buzzing around, seeing what I could do. Yeah. Just because it made me feel relaxed and it was kind of fun for me. Mm-hmm. To do, I like I like tidying up the kitchen and doing. The, I I'd never done a dish before by hand. I kind of. Where did you go? You did a lot. You did them every day. Of course, I, yeah. I did. Yeah, uh, I, I was like opposite of Alex, you might say. <laughs> but yeah, I, I found it kind of fun and relaxing actually. But around like you are the type of person I think you work too hard, and I know you don't clean a lot. Mm-hmm. But I find when you are cleaning, you're doing it so intense that it actually creates a negative thing in your mind. Like, right. Like cleaning's hard. I don't want to clean because that's a lot of effort. When I do clean, I put in a lot of effort. So you're like a really good hard worker when you right. work. You work at such an intense thing that no wonder you don't work very hard very often. <laughs> so my thing was, and I, I really think this is going to help our house and the way you feel because when the house is clean, you feel way, Great. way, yeah. way better. Um, geez, that baby's really crying in there. Which Roseanne? What's Nona doing to this kid? <laughs> but my my solution is that you work for about an hour and a half a day mm-hmm. of a twelve hour day. Maybe you work for an hour a day, or maybe forty minutes a day, but just in one and a half minute increments every hour. Well, you can't get much done. Like in one and a half minutes, I can maybe get out the broom and broom up an area. But then it's like, you, you, yeah, you, well, ding, 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 and I can't. Well, maybe up. okay, maybe like hey, my math is totally off here because I guess let's say two minutes in an hour, right? And that is let's say we have twelve waking hours in a day. Yes, twenty-four minutes a day, right? Times two. What's that? Forty-eight. Correct. So <laughs> we do total forty-eight minutes of shitty, slow-ass work every day. You and I. I think we do. I think we do, babe. I putter so frequently. At the cottage, I was puttering all the time. You weren't, Alex. I was monitoring your puttering. Ask John and Lorna. They saw me puttering. John and Lorna, my parents. Ask them. If you texted them right now, if we called them, they would say that I puttered every day. Doing what? Shane, we have two children that leave multiple messes everywhere they go and it's like you clean up one, they make one two feet away. You clean up that, then there's a mess again right where you start. So it's like, you are puttering just to maintain a base level of mess. Oh, okay, Th- those little fires, whatever. Like I can, I can leave 
uh, a Lucy mess that she's going to continually make. Yeah, those little like she knocks over blocks or whatever, put, puts crumbs on the floor. Do that at the end of the day. I'm talking about like your suitcase is still not unpacked. That's the type of personality I'm dealing That's with. That's true. Here. And this is your mentality. You'll come home from a vacation and you won't unpack the suitcase until the next vacation. It's true. So you can sit here and act all tough on the mic. I, I'm agreeing with I, you. No, but I know who you really are here. I'm agreeing with you. No, you're not. I'm you're, admitting that that's, no, no, that's correct. You're only agreeing with me because I pulled out some shit that's actually real truth Well, here. it is. I'm not going to disagree. I know, but now the children's clothing. Yeah. That needs to be puttered properly. And so like your mom, for instance, when she would go to change Lucy, <laughs> she would come out of the room. And I was really relating to your mom because she's like, you, you just have to. Yeah. change her and i'm the same way when i'm looking for a clothes like your clothes are all strewn everywhere the the children's clothes are all everywhere like there's no organization and that's the type of puttering i'm talking about i'm not talking about like oh lucy spills her milk and you clean it yeah, up yeah. right away no, i'm talking about like oh this pen where does this pen go i'm gonna walk and put it neatly there and mm-hmm. you just keep doing that for about 12 minutes a day and before you know it, the house is neat and organized. These little messes that are going to happen, yeah, we everyone's puttering in that sense. Let's look at the one thing. What one thing in this room shouldn't be here? I'm going to take it out and put it right. there. Next hour, I'm going to do two things, you know? And it, um, if we both did that yeah. mm-hmm. all the time, like let's say every day you put away four items in your room. Mm-hmm. Our bedroom is a disaster right now, and it's all but clean you, But clothes. you're the key problem. Oh, I am. It's so many of my clothes. But yeah, it's like it's all clean stuff and it just needs to be put away. And that, for some reason, because is you the work too hard. When, when you work, you work too hard, too f- infrequently. Can we just hire somebody to put away clean clothes? No. I can do all the laundry up to that just point. Just putter. I'm telling you, do the slow putter. Think, I'm not going to work hard at all. I'm going to do the laziest couple things put away at a time ever and watch in a 12-hour day every time you have to go upstairs just say yeah i'm gonna put four items away then just go downstairs watch tv for an hour whatever all like, right doing it okay doing it and, Starting, and i'm gonna listen. do the same i'm going when i go up in the room i'm gonna start folding stuff putting it away let's check back in next week we'll see how everything's been going and you can give the listeners, an honest review of my week's worth of puttering. No, this is about both of us, though. Well, and I'll give them a review of you and see if you're as good as you say. I, I'm the Michael Jordan of puttering. <laughs> okay. Let's just go into the episode. Uh, Let's do it. Ashley Collingbull. Yeah, uh, this is a really great interview with Ashley Collingbull. I was thinking about it for a lot afterwards, and I'm thinking about it a lot now just because I just edited it. So it's mm-hmm. very fresh in my memory. This is a really blunt conversation as we talked about in the beginning of the episode so i do want to give a trigger warning for anybody that suffers from sexual abuse trauma because we do discuss that in very plain terms so please just know that going in but before we get to ashley i'd like you to remind people that we are supported by seedlip the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit and our favorite drink in the house 100 percent. not only is it delicious but it is alcohol free it is calorie free and it is sugar free seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink whenever you're not drinking and we are definitely not drinking right now after no. that cottage trip 
oh my god we need a break our bodies need a break our minds need a break and i am tired of feeling hungover because i get hungover after only like one glass of wine now i wasn't hungover at the cottage it's just that lethargic feeling that yes. i'm, I'm I, I like to be able to relax with the drink and not have that associated with it. You know, I had a seed lip drink this afternoon just to kind of wind down outside and it felt like I was having an afternoon yeah. lunch drink and I didn't get that like three o'clock sleepiness. Yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know what else I can equate it to, but you, you're doing something that feels naughty, but it's not and it's just relaxing and there's something awesome about that. It's the best of all the worlds essentially and you don't feel like you're skipping out on your social life, which is obviously the number one reason we like to drink it <laughs> but sea lips three varieties so there is spice 94 garden 108 and what we've been drinking lately grove 42 and the reason we've been drinking that lately is because alex forgot the other two at the cottage continue well i drank all of the spice 94 okay but we've been digging the grove 42 more than we thought we would it is so delicious all it needs is a splash of tonic and then you have a beautiful cocktail in your hand. If you want to get more complex with it, you can grab the Seedlip cocktail book. And they have cocktails from all around the world, as well as from the creator of Seedlip themselves. And we're going to be making some Seedlip cocktails on your Instagram page. So we look out be. for that. Yeah, so excited. So if you want to learn more, head over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and follow at Seedlip Social on Instagram for more ways to enjoy your Seedlip. And we are also supported by... By Bravado Designs. Shane, tell me what you know about Bravado Designs as a man. This is the only bra I stand behind. <laughs> It's the only bra we talk about on a daily basis. The only bra that I actually have as a necessity, absolute necessity to my postpartum wardrobe. Not only will it be a necessity for my postpartum wardrobe, but after I'm done breastfeeding, I'm heading right over to their everyday collection that has no clips because I want the same comfort that I'm used to now. So the everyday collection, that's for women who are not pregnant or postpartum. Correct. Anybody can wear the everyday collection. Me, my mom, my neighbor Sherry, my best friend Veronica. It's good for everyone. No clips. Same delicious booby comfort. So if you want 20% off either your nursing bra or your everyday bra, you can head over to ca.bravadodesigns.com and use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for a sweet discount. You get 20% off and that is a sweet discount. But now let's go to our interview with Ashley Calling Bull. Ashley, thank you so much for being here today. We're so excited to talk to you. No, thanks for having me. For our listeners, Ashley Collingbull, you are from Enoch Cree First Nation in Alberta, correct? Yes. And your resume is incredibly long. Like you are Canadian icon status. You have been an activist for ages. You are Mrs. Universe 2015. And currently you're the face of the Nike N7 campaign. So with all of these things on your resume, I guess, how would you describe your job title? Oh, it's <laughs> always a funny question to answer. People are always like, what would you rather prefer, uh, actress, model, motivational speaker, activist? or?" And I'm like, well, whatever makes you comfortable for the event that we're doing. <laughs> so for today? Well, a lot of people say actress, model, activist, First Nations mm -hmm. activist. Do you ever get tired of telling your story? I watched your Red Talk mm -hmm. this morning, bawled my eyes out, by the way. Do you get tired of having to tell that story? Or do you even want to retell that story when you're on a podcast like this? 
No, I don't get tired because it's an important story that needs to be heard. It's a very common story in Indigenous country where a lot of Indigenous peoples are dealing with poverty and abuse and the intergenerational trauma. It's such a common thing. So for me to share that story, it's really brave. But there's so many people that are going through the same thing that aren't able to speak up. So it's mm -hmm. almost like I'm speaking up for them. A lot of people open up to me as well after I speak to them about my story. So it's it's really eye-opening to see like how common it is, but it opens a lot of people's eyes and, you know, just shares with them my resiliency and how I basically overcame everything to get to the point where I am now in my life. For everyone listening, I suggest you go check out the Ashley Collingbolt Red Talk. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's a pretty intense story. Like I was saying, it had me in tears and I, I, I realized I was crying 50% because of empathy for you and 50% because I have two daughters and like we have one that's mm -hmm. 14 days old right now a daughter and I'm just thinking how do I make sure that my daughter isn't sexually abused sexually assaulted and 90% of these attackers and abusers are known to the family so I was wondering does this make you hesitant to even want children in particular a daughter no, I mean, the situation that I was in, it was something I couldn't control. My mom didn't even know until we left. I finally opened up to her. That was really hard. At first, after all this happened, I told myself I would never have kids because mm -hmm. it was just so traumatic. And to think that I would bring someone into this world and there's a chance that they can live through what I've lived through. I didn't like that. But I feel like I would be an amazing mother because of what I've overcome in my life. I think mm -hmm. that would raise a really strong and fearless daughter or yeah. a son. doesn't matter to me, but it doesn't scare me from bringing life into this world. I just have to be more aware and definitely have more conversations with my future mm -hmm. children about, mm -hmm. you know, what I've gone through and what to be aware of and to know that our voices are so powerful and it's not you should never be afraid or ashamed to speak up because that's something that I lived in fear of was using my voice. Mm -hmm. And now my voice is just so powerful and so amplified. So it's crazy how I went from one end of the spectrum yeah. to the other. And, you know, it's just a story of strength. And that's something I would share with my kids. Now, uh, talking about your voice being amplified, I feel like a big part of that was winning uh, Mrs. Universe. Now, I would think you might be scared to go into something like that, given that a pa the pageant business, I'll call it, yeah. might be a little misogynist. I, I know you experienced racism. In your Red Talk, I didn't really hear you talking about any misogyny or harassment, but were you scared to go into it for fear of being harassed even further? in that way sexually well you know when i joined my first pageant i was 20 years old so it was 10 years ago and i honestly had no idea what i was getting into yeah. like, i didn't know what kind of world it was i didn't even want to join a pageant <laughs> one of my friends actually encouraged me because i was in university at the time and everyone knew me as like the charity girl the girl that was always raising money for different charities that i work for and she said, why don't you join this? And she's like, and use it to your advantage. Yeah. And I kept thinking about that, like, how do I use this? And I looked at the girls that competed and a lot of them, you know, go to win and, you know, and celebrate mm -hmm. with their family and go home. They could make it so much more powerful, but I don't think no one's really figured that out yet. So I worked for how many different charities and did a lot of volunteer work. I thought, why not use this as a chance to, you know, raise money and awareness for my charities through this organization? Because... You know, if you place, you win money. If you raise money for the pageant, like, goes to the pageant. And I'm thinking, you know, why not do it for a greater good? Do it mm -hmm. for more than myself because, 
if you win or if you have like this role or this title as like an ambassador, you're there for the people, not just for yourself. So when I joined the pageant, I didn't want to join it for just myself, you know, being a role model and ambassador, you're doing things for other people. And I wanted to be that role model and Mm -hmm. make it something more worthwhile than just going to celebrate and be a part of something that I could forget. I wanted it to be very effective. So when I joined, I didn't know what to expect because in my mind, all I know is miscongeniality and that's not really much of pageantry. (laughs) But basically I had indigenous designers, you know, give me clothes to wear. I wanted to show everyone that I was really proud to be indigenous Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to actualize myself because, you know, the bikini thing is like something you have to deal with. And I didn't want to look like everyone else. Mm -hmm. So I wore like buckskin clothing, like legit traditional wear. And as soon as I got there, I experienced, uh, you know, some issues with other girls saying I didn't belong there because I didn't look like a typical beauty queen, you know, go back where you came from kind of thing. Just like the ignorance was just, it was sad, but I just thought, you know, I'm here for more than myself. I'm like, I'm not going to let that fade me. Like I've been through so much in my life. I'm like, you think a caddy girl is really going to ruin me the cattiness is real (laughs) so i'm like if i can handle a pageant with like 80 other women i think i can handle anything (laughs) but yeah i was uh the only time i felt weird in pageants were sexualized was when i was competing in china the pageant felt a little different it was almost like we were on display for all the big major sponsors, which were all men, which made me feel really uncomfortable. So I experienced that once. After that, I never really experienced anything else because they keep people away from you. Like you always have like someone taking care of you. So no one's ever bothering you. But online, yes, so many people try to attack me over things or who do you think you are wearing a bikini or lowering your standards and I've competed in pageants where there has been bikini and where there hasn't Mm -hmm. and they just have basically two different meanings and for bikini like I'm not really bothered by it it just gives me motivation to just keep working out and showing people I'm healthy and I'm Mm -hmm. not like basically starving myself or going too hard I want to show people you know this is what a healthy body looks like yeah. I work out but I still have my cheesies and chips and dip, like, live my life <laughs> you got up the cheesies yeah but that's the only time that people really gave me a hard time was about the swimsuits but mm-hmm. I don't even think pageants need swimsuits because there's more to us than our bodies agreed now I yeah. I understand the behind the scenes talk and like I, I, I don't understand it but it seems to me that like it'd be more likely that people would be whispering behind your back or maybe saying stuff thinking it wouldn't be in the public eye. Mm-hmm. But is it true that actual real journalists were saying that uh, you, you should be signing welfare checks with your feet, like that should be your talent or, or drinking, whatever they were saying? Is that true? Yeah, so I felt really proud to be there because I was the only indigenous woman. I think there was only three people that had crazy stories that came from bad backgrounds that for people of color and I was one of those people and this paper in Toronto made a joke about me and it was only 10 years ago and, and they took they took it all down they took everything down after but I thought they were going to write something great about me as soon as I saw it my mom's the one reading it and then she stopped reading and I thought what's going on and she said oh there's a, a native woman competing this, this year what is she going to do for her talent chug Lysol or sign welfare checks with her toes Oh my That's God. insane. 
what okay and what's what's your your reaction upon because like i didn't even know this shane found that piece of information and like hearing that like my heart sinks and it pisses me off so much it's like what's your initial like they have to be fired or be sued or something do they not i was baffled at first i just thought like wow that's the first thing that i got the first response that i got for basically making history just being here yeah and i thought that's just how ignorant our people are in our country i was like well and it didn't phase me at first you know i felt upset that my mom has to read it Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I just thought they obviously have no idea who I am or what I'm made of. Yeah, I'm like, and just wait till they see. <laughs> you said like, you know, this is how ignorant people are in our country. So yeah. many people don't get that Canada has an issue with racism. And then when they think, okay, maybe we do, it's usually, especially because of everything that's going on, okay, maybe people are racist towards black people. They leave out the indigenous population completely. Why do you think that people are like so kind of blind to that? People are really privileged in our country, mm. you know? I mean, they don't know the whole complete history of our people. And hopefully, like, you know, more schools will implement that because people are just so under undereducated about what we're going through. They don't know anything. So they think we're just protesting just to be upset. They People always accuse me saying, you don't have to pay taxes, which I do. You get like free schooling, housing. No, I don't. I had to do the exact same thing as every other citizen in this country. And people think that we're entitled, yeah. that we get handouts. So people don't like that. They think, what do they have to complain about? They have it easy. I'm like, no, we don't. I'm like, we're living in third world poverty yeah. in our right. country. There's a lot of people living in shacks, don't have access to clean water. Kids are being taken through the foster care system, like the new residential schools. There's mm-hmm. so many problems that we have that people just push to the side and they don't want to hear about it. They think, oh, Canada's the best country in yeah. the world. It's so wonderful and safe. But for us, it's it's scary, you know, we're we're just fighting to survive. And I feel like even now, people always look at me weird and it is because of the color of my skin or depending on how I dress. If I, sometimes when I was younger, if I wanted to go to the mall and go to a, a decent store or go to the whole Renfrew, if I ever just wanted to go in there, I'd have to dress a little nicer or they would mistreat me or they would follow me around or harass me. And it was just, it's just appalling that like I have to deal with that now Mm -hmm. and people feeling unsure of me because of the way that I look. Say I'm wearing a sweats and hoodie, walking my dog outside. People drive by, look scared of me, go on the other side of the street. And it's just because of what I look like. And it's really sad. But a lot of people I think in our country just are so uneducated and no one wants to hear us out ever. So, but that's why we're so loud. Yeah. That's why we're Got doing things that we're doing. That's why we're always constantly fighting. Like we will put up a fight. We're the most resilient people out here. So, I mean, we've been here from the beginning fighting for like our culture, fighting for mm-hmm. our land, fighting for our rights, fighting for our language. Or So it's just like a constant battle against the system that was created, not for us, yeah. but against us. It feels like you should have gotten free schooling, and I was always under the assumption you you did. Why is that rumor out there, yeah. and why do so many people believe that? I don't know. I know some bands have better funding than we do. Some bands are better off, but all, all bands are really suffering because, mm-hmm. you know, we're 
trying to govern ourselves and just thrown into these reservations and there's so much trauma. Like my grandparents both went to residential school, trauma got passed down. My abusers that abused me in another reserve, they were all residential school survivors. So they just did what they what they knew, what they were yeah. taught, how to hurt people. Oh, it's um it's it's hard to explain to people that don't understand, but me, you know, educating ignorant people, I always try to do it with kindness mm -hmm. because unless if you don't, it's just arguing with stupid. You know what I mean? Like people aren't going to try to listen to you if you try to tell them mm -hmm. they're wrong. So when it comes to like breaking that cycle of abuse and essentially, right, you think about the reservations and you were saying that so many of them are like third world countries. So for... Mm -hmm girls like young girls who are getting abused in these places are there adequate systems available and adequate therapists and healthcare available to help them deal with sexual assault and then even the perpetrators like are there adequate systems to make sure that they're serving justice that they're getting rehabilitated like what is that like what kind of access none yeah we're lucky if we have anything I know on my reserve now they do have um, people that work in mental health, mm -hmm. but when I was going through what I went through, I was living on another reserve. That's the one that my sister is from. And people are too scared to speak out because these abusers are so commonly known yeah. or they're known as like heroes in our community. Well, my abuser worked with kids mm -hmm. and a lot of women were assaulted. Their kids were assaulted and they were too scared to speak up because of the power that he had on, in that community. And we never got any help. No one wanted to help me because I wasn't from there when there was nowhere for us to go. Like when me and my mom first tried to escape, we tried to go to a shelter, but there was no room for us. So that's why I work with a lot of women's shelters now because mm -hmm. I know what it's like to have that chance, you know, yeah. that chance at life and that safety. But no, there was nothing. I basically left that hellhole mm -hmm. and had to just go right to court. Yeah. I didn't get nothing from my community or that community. The only empathy I got was from the judge that said that, you know, she felt horrible for me and mm -hmm. that I need to see a therapist. And it was brushed off. And I probably went to maybe like four different therapists and none of them could understand intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. So all my therapists were not indigenous. So they didn't understand like anything. So it's trying to explain to someone who isn't like you. That's why we need more Indigenous representation yeah. as much as possible. We need more people to table to speak for us and help us. You know, it's just trying to fix all these problems that we were thrown into. We're still trying to grow and grow from these things. And it's hard. Is there ever any closure from this? Or is this just something you'll be having to deal with and reconcile your entire life? And is there ever any forgiveness for your abusers knowing that they came from a systematic point of view? I, you know, I still think my abuser is a monster. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, there was no justice. And because um, it still happened to other women after me. Mm -hmm. So that's a choice mm -hmm. that you make to continue after you're already told that it was wrong. So, but for me, as soon as all this ended, I didn't know how to let it go. Mm -hmm. I was in so much pain mentally, like emotionally. I would cry and freak out and think, you know, how do I just be happy? How do I live a normal life? I'm so scared all the time and I hate myself. You know, you blame yourself when you go through things like that because there's got to be a reason for it to happen to you. 
And if you have an abuser telling you for years that you deserve it and you're worthless, you, you're brainwashed to believe that it's okay. Mm -hmm. So I had to basically start all over from the beginning and unbrainwash myself. The hardest part was letting go of the pain. My grandma, she helped me a lot because she experienced a lot of um, sexual abuse in the schools. So she told me that in order to move forward, I'm going to need to let go. She's like, you can't carry this with you forever. You're just going to carry on this pain. And she's like, that's why a lot of our people turn to alcohol and drugs to numb this yeah. pain that we feel. And she told me that, you know, the more I put those negative things into my body, that my spirit will go farther and farther away from me. I'll make bad choices and I'll feel lost. So I basically pushed myself into my culture because, you know, my grandparents are a medicine man and medicine woman. So they run a sweat lodge and ceremony. So I was thankful I was able to go home mm. to that, to the safe place. But when you're so traumatized, you don't know how to adjust. Like yeah. I didn't have a bed when I lived on this other reserve. I lived on a little, not even a little mattress. So I was just afraid to go up off the floor. There was just all these little things that I wasn't used to, used mm -hmm. to being able to eat whenever I want. There was a lot of things I had to overcome and it was like starting my life over. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I can give myself the life I want, mm -hmm. you know? So I had to let go and I had to realize that, you know, regardless of what people say about me, whoever it is, that I need to love myself. Yeah. That's the only way I'm gonna get stronger. It's like, you know, love myself, stop blaming myself for saying all these things about myself to think that I deserve that type of pain mm. I was like I thought this is my chance to start over yeah. and this yeah. is my chance to you know help others who are going through the same thing because I work with a lot of young girls who are going through this and a lot of them can't open up but as soon as I tell them you know what happened to me my mm. story they open up and it's crazy that it's just it's happening so much and for me letting go of that pain learning to love myself again learning to start over and think that, you know, I can build a good life for myself. Mm -hmm. I just got to let that old life go. <laughs> yeah. And once I did, like, you know, I feel like still this is a healing journey. I think for the rest of my life, I will be on this healing journey. But, you know, helping others heal, that helps me. You know? mm -hmm. So the rates of sexual violence towards Indigenous women are actually triple of what they are white women in Canada. Mm -hmm. And like this is in Canada again, mm -hmm. right? People are so ignorant to that. And toward the inequalities. Why is that though? Why, why are indigenous women, why do they go missing? Why are they sexually assaulted more than other women? Because people think we're disposable. <laughs> it, it's sad but true. I've had relatives that have never come home. And a lot of people say that it's because of our stereotype. We come from a bad place or she deserved it or she was a street walker. And I've had family that's been extremely successful that has mm -hmm. gone missing, that Jeez. have been, been street walkers or been in bad situation. It just happened. And then when it happens and you don't find them, or if you do find them, they're not alive and nobody cares because it's happening so much. Mm -hmm. You know, when something happens so much, it's like, Nobody cares, you know? That's the scary thing is that we're disposable. People look at us like we're nothing. And our women, we're not held to the same standard as other women in this country. You know, I feel like if a, if a Caucasian woman went missing, mm -hmm. it would be on the news right away. Yeah. They'd go 
looking for her, finding her, sending people out. But an indigenous woman, they would automatically stereotype her or think she came from somewhere bad and just think, oh, she's probably out doing something. It's probably her choice or she deserved it. But when you're pulling like a 15-year-old girl from a river, I don't think she deserved that. What, what do you tell like girls growing up on reserves that are going through hardships? Like what advice can you offer them? Cause you're obviously a very successful woman. You're a very resilient woman and you're like a very ambitious woman. Right. But I don't know how many of these role models, you know, these young girls on reserves are coming across and you obviously are a great role model. So they must look up to you. And what do you tell them when they're going through these difficult situations? So that's like one of the most important things to me is when I work with communities like that, I go to a lot of flying communities where you just can't get there. You have to fly in or these really like they're out in the middle of nowhere. And when I come there, the first reaction is always like, wow, someone took the time out of their life to come see us. Like they freak out. They cry. They're so happy because no one goes out of their way to a place where there's no cell reception or Mm -hmm. it's just so poor and you just can't believe it. And when I go out there and, like, I share my story, there's always girls that come up and say, can I talk to you privately? And then they share their story, like, this is happening to me right now. And, like, I didn't know it was okay to say something. You know, we're just living in this really toxic environment where we're basically brainwashed to think Mm -hmm. that this is okay. And the one thing that I talk to with these girls is that regardless of how scared you are, there's always someone out there willing to listen. Mm -hmm. It's best to speak up than take it because it will just get worse and it will kill your soul. You know, all these girls think that when these things happen to them, that their lives are meaningless, that they deserve it and that they don't matter. They won't live up to anything. And I tell them I thought the same thing about myself. Mm -hmm. I thought that I was worthless. I would never amount to anything. And I always tell them I had to start over from scratch. I started my life picking bottles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now, like, I'm able to, you know, travel freely on my own to go meet these girls. I said it's about what you give back and how you feel about yourself. Because if you know your worst, you'll know what you're capable of and what you can do. Mm -hmm. It's all about self-love and appreciation for yourself because that helps you become fearless. When you're living in a situation where your life is living in fear, like me, mm-hmm. I had no love for myself. I was in so much fear that I didn't have dreams. Um, and that's what I think is so important for these girls to know is that they have that right to have a dream, mm-hmm. to know that their life is worth something and that they are strong and beautiful the way that they were created. And it's important to speak up. Even if it's scary, it will change your life to speak up. And it's hard in situations like that, you know, because me, I didn't. I didn't until we got out until my mom told me that we were gone for real. So, but when you're in a situation now and if you have a chance to stop it, you save a life. Yeah. So there's like a lot of situations where I've been put in working with these girls where they've told me and they want me to talk to someone else with them. So it's crazy how my story can like save someone's life because someone else is going through the exact same thing. And it's extremely common in small communities, especially like if it's family members, it's just something that our minds were almost trained to do when we were put in residential school is to abuse and hurt each other. 
Have you been able to deprogram yourself? Like I know you're telling women to love themselves and believe in themselves. Have you gotten to the point or is this still a journey that you're working on for yourself, your own self? I feel extremely strong. Mm-hmm. I am not the same person I was not even 10 years ago when I started all this craziness that I'm doing now. It, it took a long time. It takes years to feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't just wake up one morning and you're like, oh, I'm fine. No, there's still, you know, things in my life that will trigger something or bring up Mm -hmm. something. But for me, it's almost like a test of my strength. And I feel like I've been through so much that whatever is thrown my way now could never be as bad. And have things been able to get any better? I know you were obviously against Stephen Harper and he was in a bit of denial about the abuse uh, towards Indigenous women and the women gone missing. Uh, politically have things gotten better or is it just a slightly lesser evil with uh, our current prime minister yeah lesser of the evils basically for me i really wish that we didn't have that government governing us wish it was a self-governing system but everything the way that it is broken treaties broken promises Mm -hmm. it's it's sad because we don't have anyone up there speaking for us yeah you know, how how do they understand, you know, they, they get to go home to their cottages, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we live on the reserve that you put us on, and we don't have access to water. So no, things have uh, not gotten better. Would you ever consider yeah. yourself running for prime minister? A lot of people ask me that all the time. <laughs> we want answers. You, know, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I, I set my goals really high. And I always want to do as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So you never know what can happen in my life. I always try to manifest myself to do as much as I can. But you've got my vote. I'm just letting you know that right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping someday there will be an indigenous prime minister for sure. But till then, we need more of us fighting at mm-hmm. the table. Mm-hmm. So what can regular Canadians, white Canadians do? right? Like me sitting, I'm not living on a reserve. I have not had the same kind of trauma that you have. My parents haven't had the same kind of trauma. And even though my grandparents were immigrants, it's so different, right? Than what you've gone through, what the First Nations people have gone through. So how can I help the cause of sexual assault? How can I help the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls from my position? And like for listeners that want to help, it's important for non-Indigenous people to be allies, mm-hmm. especially right now. We need as many as possible. And, you know, with the lifestyle that you had, like, it's more privileged than ours. And you have a power that you don't even know you have because you're privileged and you're also Caucasian. Mm-hmm. That's immediately a huge power to have. And I feel that, you know, being educated on everything that we're doing and not just speaking up, but showing up mm-hmm. is so important because we need as much support as we possibly can. I feel that um, when you're a non-Indigenous ally, it's such a powerful thing to have because it's not just, there's no divide. Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't need. We don't need a divide. The only way that our country is going to grow stronger is if we grow together. There needs to be a lot of education on what we're going through. People need to see and hear us and understand they need to be there for us i mean you're canadian i'm canadian but we live two completely different lives you know and people don't see that that's why non-indigenous allies 
have to also be strong voices. Mm -hmm. They have to be there too. They need to show up. They need to show that we're united as one. And it's all about educating people too, the people around you, you know, the more that you know, the better it is to share with others to let them know the truth. Because say I'm somewhere and sometimes this happens, I'll be somewhere and no one will see me. People will be talking about natives and saying things that aren't true or, and I'll have to step in because other people there are silent. Yeah. And I know other people there know that it's not true. So it's important to never stay silent Mm -hmm. right now. Voices are our strength. Is the preferred term native or indigenous? I know this is such a small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, but I'm just very curious on what, how I should be referring to it. A lot of people say native, but indigenous would probably be the proper term. Indigenous in Canada, first nations, no one likes to be referred to as Aboriginal or Indian. So Indigenous or First Nations. Mm-hmm. I feel the native call each other natives. <laughs> <laughs> right, I get it. I noticed when you backed up there, you're wearing a very uh, beautiful looking Nike uh, sweatshirt. And, yeah. <laughs> and I thought I'd use that to segue into your collaboration with Nike. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to know how that came about and what your relationship looks like with them. So I've actually been working with them for a few years now. I've been a part of their family. I did a campaign with them before, but not on my own, like this one now. And a lot of the work that I do with them is like a spokesperson ambassador. So I travel to different areas and different small communities. And Nike and Seven will support by, you know, paying for everything, providing gear for the kids, bringing in professional athletes that are Indigenous or non-Indigenous to meet the kids. We'll do exercises, we'll do emotional uh, emotional and mental projects. So it's almost like a huge self-esteem workshop with physical activity. Mm-hmm. So that's the stuff that I was doing with them for years and still am. And when this came about during the quarantine and they called and, you know, with everything that I do, they said, well, how would you like to have your own, you know, be a face because you're all about mental health and healing and how you've healed in your life. and with the campaign, it's about how we use our traditional plants and being connected to the land and healing wellness. So I thought, you know, that's amazing. And they said, it's all indigenous faces. So that's not something you see every day for such a big brand is to see all indigenous faces. That's incredible. Powerful. So this is like, we do a family account. This is typically technically a family podcast and I want to ask just as you know a woman who has gone through so much and who is continuing to do so much what do you think is the most constructive thing that we can tell we have two daughters that we can tell our daughters when they're growing up first in regards to you know equality and indigenous rights and then second just in regards to self-esteem because I think that you your self-love journey has so much more strength than the average woman's so what what can we do that's constructive for our daughters well i feel like building our women up is so important letting Mm -hmm. them know that they are equal that they can do anything that a man can do maybe even better (laughs) (laughs) but you know with women it's not just equality it's by building them up and making them feel like they are loved Mm -hmm. nurtured And I'm going also from an indigenous perspective because we don't have that. Mm -hmm. And if we had that, we would thrive. Yeah. And so regardless if you're indigenous or not, and knowing your self-worth, it really helps you focus on what your passions are and where you want to go in life. And, you know, 
there's always a thing that I share in my speeches. It's always my favorite quote. And you probably heard it in my talk. But when I was a little girl, when I was being abused and, you know, living that lifestyle, I felt like I needed something to get me through every day. There were things that, like, didn't work for me because it wasn't my own words. It wasn't my own feelings. So I told myself, love and live fearlessly. And it sounds cheesy, but when I say that, I mean that I should love and appreciate myself for the way the creator made me because he made me this way for a reason. Mm-hmm. I've been put in this situation for a reason. And when living fearlessly, you know, not letting fear stop me from chasing my dreams or going over these different boundaries, being fearless to break glass ceilings, being fearless to, you know, overcome all these stereotypes to just become the person that I'm meant to be. So when I work with a lot of women, I always tell them to love and live fearlessly, you know, love themselves. And when they live fearlessly, they have this different attitude that they can do anything that their heart desires, anything that they want to achieve. And that's extremely important is to let women know that they have that purpose within them and they have that power to become the person they were always meant to be. Do you have something on your list that is the next thing that you're going to use this courage to go forward? I know you've already done so much, but you're still so young. I'm just wondering what's ahead. There is so much I want to do. (laughs) But like, you know, I have a lot of things coming up for myself, like campaigns, work, stuff with kids. But something that I'm working on right now and trying to implement is I want to create my own foundation and and want it to be for Indigenous women and children who are going through domestic abuse. I do a lot of work with shelters and, you know, like Wind House here in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. So they basically house mostly Indigenous women. But if there was a place that I could go to that could have saved my life, maybe I wouldn't have to had to suffer so long. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we need more access. So if I can create a foundation that can help other women in different indigenous communities where I can go and travel and bring resources and have all these, you know, different sponsors that have sponsored me in my life, help and give back. Mm -hmm. It would mean a lot Mm -hmm. because the healing needs to start within our own communities. Do you think the world will ever be healed in our lifetime? Or in other words, do you think we can get rid of racism before we die? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I'm like, but you know, that's me being positive. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible to change the world. Mm-hmm. It just, it takes the people. And, you know, and the ignorant people need to basically learn, grow up. <laughs> but, you know, anything is possible as long as people are working together and realizing that, you know, everyone deserves the same chance at life. Everyone's equal. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to treat someone different because of their skin color or where they came from. Because... Yeah. We all start the same and we all end the same. Ashley, if listeners want to follow along with your journey and if they want to, you know, start speaking up, where can they go and where can they find you on social media, on the internet to follow along? So my Instagram is just my name, Ashley Collingbull. Um, I post a lot on there. My Facebook, Ashley Collingbull. My uh, Twitter is just Ash Collingbull because... My name was way too long. <laughs> but, you know, people can follow me on there. Also my website. And I'm actually going to be starting to post more videos of, like, my events and, you know, my speeches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I try not to post too much because a lot of it's personal and I don't want to post with kids. Yeah. yeah. Like being in the, you know what I mean? So 
but I'm going to be posting a lot more. So my journey is nowhere near the end. I feel like I'm just starting again. So, but yeah, they can follow me on all my different social handles and I usually post everything there. So your name is so fitting, just calling bull. In fact, I didn't think it was your real name at first. I was like, Oh, just because she's calling out (laughs) bullshit going on in the world. But Ashley, we, Thank you, honestly, so much for being here today. I've I've shown a lot of your speeches to my classes. I teach high school over the years. And so after watching you with them so many times, it's so amazing to be able to have you in conversation with us. So we really do appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you have a great day. Absolutely, Ashley. Yeah, you guys too. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you. All the best. I knew the type of conversation we we're going to have just because I've been following Ashley for a few years now and I've, I've shown her talks to students of mine and I just find her honestly she's such a force and she's so inspiring to me and makes me realize like my god what am I doing commenting on everything that's happening on the states when what's happening in Canada is so so bad and it, she makes me feel like I need to do more and I do want to do more what are you gonna do well I think we should start looking up organizations that work for getting clean water to indigenous reserves to first nations reserves and possibly dealing with sexual assault survivors on reserves as well and i'm sure ashley can turn us on to a few good organizations to do that i like it and now we move on to amy webb yep so amy has a daughter with limb differences yes and in, in, in terms of length so we were brought to our conversation with amy um in regards to like how do we deal when you know teaching our kids about disability so she was such a good resource for that because she came from our point too and she really didn't know much about came from our point well like she started off kind of where we were not knowing how to talk about disability how to introduce somebody else to disability until she had her daughter and then she became kind of a pro in her experience dealing with other people's reactions to her daughter's disability. I guess you're forced to become a pro Yeah, Yeah, so she was a really great resource to talk to, and she is now an author and an artist and has come out with an awesome book that broaches these topics with kids. But we're going to talk all about that in the interview. But first, I'd like Alex to talk about who we're supported by. We are supported by Tushy. For the people who don't know, what is Tushy? Tushy Bidet is an attachment that you can install on your own toilet to spray your butt with water to clean it. Shane, answer me this question. Would you like to create a fissure in your ass by using wet wipes? You know I wouldn't. (laughs) No. Who would? Let me ask you a question. Ask me. What was the worst part about being at the cottage? The worst part about being at the cottage? Easy. No access to Tushy. So if you don't want fissures in your ass and you want to keep it clean. Bingo. Get a tushy at your cottage or just stay home where you have your tushy shane did you know tushy has a portable butt cleaner that you could actually get and take to the cottage i didn't yeah they do oh we should go on. we should get one <laughs> solves all the issues yeah seriously. but tushy is amazing it's a fantastic unconventional gift for really anyone in your life even yourself i don't even consider it an unconventional gift i yeah. consider it mandatory at every baby shower diaper party diaper party yeah give- wedding stuff Everyone will appreciate it. It's my favorite product probably of all time. Mm-hmm. No, Tushy product of the year in the Cunningham household. And basically, guys, everyone has an ass. Everyone deserves a Tushy. It's only $79. And for listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off your own Tushy bidet. So head to www.hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree 
to get yourself a cleaner butt. And it's spelled T-U-S-H-Y. That might seem obvious, but some people were messaging me how to spell it. And one more time with that website. HelloTushy.com slash ThisFamilyTree. But, no pun intended, we are also supported by... Hungry Buddha. When hunger strikes you in between meals, what's a person to do? I used to grab a cookie, now I grab a Hungry Buddha keto bar. That's what I've been doing lately too, and actually, coming back from the cottage... We're all out. We need to restock because these bars have been a lifesaver for us. I'm ravenous breastfeeding. I underestimated how much we were going to be eating them, and I I gifted your father too many. Point is, we're getting on the Amazon tomorrow to order them immediately, and they do come quite quickly. Whether you are a ravenous breastfeeding woman like me or health-conscious like Shane, you will love the Hungry Budokita bars. So the company itself believes in the importance of healthy fats, coconuts being a producer of one of those, and one of our favorite superfoods. So healthy Budokita bars are packed with MCT oil, 9 grams of plant protein, and keto-certified as they only have four grams of net carbs and less than two grams of sugar. I just like them because they taste good and they don't have that keto bar aftertaste. Yes, yes, they don't have that weird aftertaste. You can get them in awesome flavors. We like the chocolate chips, coconut cocoa, and espresso brownie. Hungry Buddha keto bars are soy-free, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And most importantly, they are made in Canada. And we have a promo code for these. We do. So if you use Family Tree 15, you can get 15% off of the bars on Amazon. So not this Family Tree. Family Tree 15 for 15%. So give this promo code a try. Uh, we've had problems in the last three weeks because there was a better promo code mm-hmm. that automatically attached to it. So hey, if you find a better one, good for you. <laughs> but if, if you find when you go to checkout, there's no promo code, use Family Tree 15. Yep, so that's Amazon.com or Amazon.ca, and enjoy these bars. You will love them. But now let's get to our interview with Amy Webb. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is really amazing. Thank yeah. you. So I found you fairly recently on Instagram within the last couple months, and it was suggested that I follow your page because you are a writer, an artist, and most importantly, other than your role as a mom, but you are a disability advocate. Yes. Yes. And so is there, and pardon me because I might get this wrong, but is there a specific disability that you advocate for or is it just disability rights in general? My journey. So if you found me in the last couple of months, mm-hmm. I'll kind of take you through how I got to that point that I'd even call myself that. So um, we have three girls mm-hmm. and it's my middle daughter who her real name is not Lamp, but that's long than what her blog alias is on, mm. on my blog. So some people are confused by that if they're new to us. Um, she was born in 2010 with a disability, and she has a more technical diagnosis, but the general uh, thing that we say is that she has limb differences, right? So mm-hmm. all four of her limbs are different. You can have limb differences even if you just have a few digits on a hand. Mm-hmm. You can have the most common one is to have part of your arm, like one arm missing. And so the fact that she has all four affected, she's also a wheelchair user, makes her a little bit more mm-hmm. kind of extreme, I guess, than most people with limb differences. You know, very typical story of finding out at the atrium week ultrasound that something was wrong lots of fear, right? Lots of unknown. I mean, that's the worst thing that parents think can happen to their kid. When right. I would much rather like have disability than like an asshole diagnosis, right? Like, <laughs> oh, I've <laughs> had that diagnosis before. Yeah, you don't want it. <laughs> and so, you know, I was writing and processing through a lot of these things on my blog at the time, because I've been blogging since like 2005. 
my husband and I first got married and we moved to New York City. So just, you know, like every newlywed and everyone was doing mm -hmm. back then. And so it was mostly just a way to like keep family and friends informed on a big scale. And eventually um, it really became, I mean, that's even where I think I really fell in love with writing and what it was able to do for me catharsis wise and processing is also, you know, just kind of helping people see this new road that, because you guys are parents, you know how like, even with the parenting books, like you still don't know what you're doing. It's Absolutely. still just like a crapshoot. And then, and then when you get this kid who's got these needs and you don't know anyone going through it, you don't know any book that addresses these things specifically, you feel all the much more lost. And so I was writing and about a year after that, I, I said, well, I should open up my platform to other families mm -hmm. who are going through similar things. So I started this series on my blog called The Special Needs Spotlight. I now call it the Disability and Differences Spotlight, although I, I haven't done it probably for the past six months. It's been, it's been really sporadic for the past year, but I started doing it every week. Now I try to use the term disability family rather than special needs family. Mm -hmm. It's hard though, because they still, both the terms sometimes still work, but most uh, adults in this in this space do not prefer the term special needs. Right. This is an FYI, but it's sometimes still the best term to use. So I started interviewing other families, but then eventually started interviewing adults who were disabled themselves and getting this firsthand perspective. And that's really where things just began to shift for me mm -hmm. mentally, as far as learning about disability rights, learning about ableism and what that was and really seeing, you know, just what, what my daughter's life, just seeing it from the, the most accurate perspective I possibly yeah. could be. What is ableism? So ableism is the discrimination and social prejudice against people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So like racism, but for people with able, you know, with disabilities. And it's the presumption, I, I think of it a lot as like, the presumption is that disability is a sad, it's inherently sad. It's inherently a lesser form of, of being human, right? It's inherently negative, all these things. And that's mm -hmm. what we have put on disability for so long. So most ableists, unlike racists, probably most ableists would have better intentions, right? They're just ignorant. I, you, you know, that's the interesting thing is that it's it is so pervasive once you start when you start to kind of see it and you see it everywhere i mean it's it's everything from inaccessible spaces yeah. you know so again having a, a daughter with a wheelchair also takes us into a different realm of disability mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. then you get down to really like black and white we can't enter that space we can't enter that yeah. space because it's not just you know for her I try, I try to explain too that her wheelchair is a power wheelchair which is different than a manual wheelchair manual wheelchair is like if you have to they're a lot, they're a little bit lighter. You can like pop it up a stair or two. Her power wheelchair is 350 pounds. Like you're not jimmying that up a stair, right? right? And so it's ableism and things like that. I think it's it's the realization that uh, most people don't know that like it's still the only group that you can legally segregate in schools and mm -hmm. in businesses. There are laws in the US at least that allow you to pay people disabilities less than minimum wage. You are, there's marriage discrimination because if you get married and you have, again, this probably wouldn't apply in Canada, but you know how our healthcare system's Kind of messed up down here if you're someone who needs medicaid and those kind of things from the government that you depend on to have like an aid or something for example and you get married no matter what you lose those benefits no matter how much that person makes so it doesn't even matter about those things so you have all these people who are disabled who choose between being able to get married and having their benefits see and i do know that in canada laws for especially children going to school with disabilities it wasn't considered a right for students that had disabilities to go to school, whereas other students would get shipped in, they'd get bussed in. If you had a disability and you lived in a rural community, it wasn't until recently, and I don't know the exact date, that they would actually ensure that you got to school. And as a yeah. teacher, I see more in schools. I'm so aware of it because we are totally inclusive. We have to, you know, if there's 
a student that we have and we don't have the proper uh, foundations in place for them, then we're, yeah. we're really stuck. So I do notice in school, but I feel so embarrassed because I really didn't consider disability accessibility. Does that make sense? Accessibility until mm-hmm. I was my first time being a mom until I was taking my baby out in a stroller. And this is so stupid, but I'd be trying to open a door and put the wheels over, you know, the lip of the coffee shop, trying to get her in. And I'm like, oh man, like this is hard. How come they don't make this easier for moms? And then I was like, holy shit. Like how come they don't make this easier for people that are living in wheelchairs, living with disabilities every single day? And that was such an awakening. And it's such like an embarrassing thing that got me to that, like trying to get into a coffee shop. But I was curious, like your daughter is a little bit older, right? She's around 10 or 11. Okay. So how does she deal with all these things when she comes across places that aren't accessible or people that maybe don't know how to navigate a conversation with her and her disability? Yeah. You know, it's a process and well, and, and even to kind of like, round back to like how I got into this disability thing is, you know, as I was interviewing people and again, like there's no manual for this. Right. And so one of the biggest surprises to me was realizing, and this is a big part of, I think, awakening with disability things is that the hardest part of her being disabled isn't her disability. It's navigating the world socially, especially when she was younger. So now she's in school. I mean, other than COVID and the entire (laughs) world, we actually moved to a small community about two years ago where there was a lot of things we loved about it. But one of the things in particular that we chose about this community is that it's like the same kids are in elementary school, middle school, high school, the whole way up. So it's a really small school district. And part of the reason we chose that purposely um, and just to have a small community is we just want her when she's known in a place, it's like no big deal. Yeah. But it's the newness of your life. And I think this is something that I, I wish people could understand more. It's so even though like you were saying earlier with like, well, ableism, most people are trying to be helpful or, you know, whatever. There is still most of the time it's a bent with pity and people don't always understand that. And so it's like, oh, I feel sorry for you. Or, oh my gosh, your life must be so hard. It's the assumption that everything is so hard for you. So I would think, aren't the lives harder for all the reasons you've kind of listed here? Like, aren't the lives harder? So what I've come to understand is that there's a few different models of disability. And one is what most people think of is the social or the medical model of disability, which is your body's wrong and let us help you fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, that tends to be a lot of even doctors and and, and again, well-meaning people like, oh, have you ever thought of like a limb link? surgery for her have you ever thought of these things versus the social model of disability which says you're not wrong but society needs to do a better job of accommodating you right Mm -hmm. right society needs to do a better job of making sure that you can access everything that we can access so that you are treated fairly there was a part of me when she was first born that wanted to be like disability is awesome and no one Mm -hmm. be like and wanted to like shout it from the rooftops like i was wrong everyone's wrong and and disability is great and there's nothing negative about disability. And I have for sure learned that disability is no one thing. There for sure are really heartbreaking situations. Mm-hmm. There's people who live in constant pain because of their disability. There are people who are crushed under the weight of medical bills. Again, mm-hmm. like here in the U.S., that's such a huge problem is, yeah. is not that access to medical care or equitable access, I should say. And, th- and then I do think, you know, obviously there's people who are born with disabilities. There are people who become disabled, I think. You know, it would be not honest of me to say if I lost an arm tomorrow, mm-hmm. that that wouldn't be really difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, to yeah. lose an ability, I think would be really hard. So disability isn't one thing, but I think it's important that we know it's not inherently negative. Right. You know, it's not 
inherently sad. And for me, when I think about my daughter, again, I've always said like her disability isn't what makes life hard. It's how other people react mm-hmm. to it yeah. or the limitations of society. And so again, it's mm-hmm. really reframing like what has made it hard. Yeah, It's so interesting because I was just thinking when you were saying that it would be like the equivalent almost uh, because black people have had it so much harder and people of color. If right. your daughter was a mixed race and someone said, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, my experience with disability has certainly informed my understanding of racism for sure. Especially because my, my daughter, it's a very visual disability. From age one to four, we lived in San Antonio. Those were really those pivotal years where you're at the park all the time. You're going to play dates. You're going to the library story time. So that's where I had to figure out because almost every time we went somewhere, I was dealing with other very young children who clearly hadn't, you know, been exposed to disability. And I felt like every time for years, I was just floundering, floundering mm-hmm. until I kind of finally figured out this formula. And it's the same formula that I wrote about. It's a formula I based my children's book on. And ultimately, it's, I think, what has also helped my daughter kind of like figure out how to deal with it. Right. So the first thing was like, I would say, hey, do you have questions? Because you notice kids like whispering a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? Or like, pointing to their mom and I'd say, it's okay if you have questions. And then I say, you know, I'd introduce my daughter and say, this is, you know, her. And yeah, she was bored without an arm. And I'd kind of explain these things to them. And then I'd, but if they use the word like, well, that's weird, that's gross. I'd say, oh, we don't, you know, we don't use rude words. So I always reinforce the kindness. And then again, I'm just asked, I'd say, questions are okay. So I, I just try to reinforce over and over again, like she was born this way. This is just how she was born. And it helps a lot when parents are involved in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I don't know your kid. Like, <laughs> exactly. Maybe like maybe they have someone in their family who mm-hmm. you can like, oh, remember Grandpa Joe has a walker or whatever. Yeah. And then and then I try to find like a common ground. Like, well, do you like ice cream? Well, she likes ice cream. <laughs> do you like cartoons? She likes cartoons. And um, and then I usually would end with kind of like, well, I bet she can do some things you can't do. And they'd be like, what? And I'd be like, she, she actually writes with her feet. And that was like just the mic drop for kids. You know, they <laughs> be like the Legos with her feet or whatever. And so that... That little formula helped me kind of learn how to do that. And then she started doing it. Right. And now she figures out her own way. I mean, there's been times where kids have asked her, like, like she told me it was like a year and a half ago. She was like, yeah, this girl was like, why don't you have a hand? And I was like, why should I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, that was brilliant. Like, yeah, why should you have a hand? <laughs> and so she, she has learned to, it's like she understands it because she's lived in her body for so long. Mm-hmm. She she honestly doesn't even remember some of these encounters we've had. I've had to remind her, like, there have been times you've been completely surrounded by children at a playground. Yeah. Like, many times that you have been enclosed by children. We've had to, like, shoo them away. You know, and so that she's learned how to deal with it on her own. Like I said, it depends on the situation we're in. You know, like, in our home base with our church and our, our community, she can move about very freely. When we go to someplace new, like the last, we went on a, a Disney cruise a number of years ago and she had fun, but there were a lot of, I felt awful that I didn't prepare maybe the staff well enough that I didn't prepare because they have like a whole little kids club they can go to. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, it, it was a little bit like sending her into a lion's den sometimes. Mm-hmm. I feel like even going in with her, like, a few feet. I, 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 because we live in our community of people who know her so much, I, I would forget sometimes how disruptive that life can be when you're outside of it. Yeah. Little kids coming up to her, grabbing her arm, asking her constantly. She got called names. She also had this little band of kids who like became her like bouncers. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of cool. Like she had this like little band of kids that like came to her aid and loved her. And she's very easygoing and stuff. So it really depends on the situation. But I think again, if I could kind of one thing I think, you know, even if people come at disability from like, they mean well, 
It can be the, the constant disruptive nature of staring. It can be very disruptive to just like your daily life. Like when she was little, I likened it a lot to like, it was a little bit like having a celebrity for a child because mm-hmm. we got stared at, we got pointed at. Mm-hmm. We, she learned to just kind of like block out the whispers and the points a lot, you know? Okay, Amy, we're just going to take a quick break right now to let our listeners know that. We are supported by Beluga Baby. Beluga Baby makes natural bamboo carriers for you to hold and comfort your baby hands-free. I I'm a huge wrap fan. Shane, like we've integrated baby wraps into the care of both of our kids. You're like a wrap artist or maybe aficionado. <laughs> what? What? I like you calling me a wrap artist. Okay. But you're more of an aficionado is what I really meant to say. I would agree with that. And we had a crying baby this episode. And anytime the baby's not crying, it's because Alex is wearing baby Betty. And in fact, she's wearing baby Betty right now. And And I don't hear a baby crying. I don't hear a baby crying. And it is actually proven that beluga wraps reduce baby crying by over 40%. Totally for real. Studies have been done that show baby wearing greatly, greatly reduces infant crying. And it makes sense. The baby is held close to you. And in beluga wraps in particular, they have a unique four stretch bamboo fabric that is so soft. Beluga baby wraps are designed to be breathable, comfortable, and absolutely adorable. We ourselves got the Rachel. It's a neutral light gray. Anybody could wear it. We don't have to fight over it. Well, it's just going to be mine. That's well, it is just going to be yours, but I've been wearing it. But we wanted to designate one just for me. That's why. Yeah. And I do have my own, my own Beluga wrap on the yeah, way. Yeah, you have a tie-dye one. I got the Joni. Yeah. So check out their website because they the do Joni's have- But the Joni's sold out right now. It is sold out. Okay. But they have a beautiful selection. And if they are sold out, just hang tight because they will restock. Beluga wraps are certified hip healthy by the International Hip Dysplasia Institute. There's free shipping to Canada and the U.S. And you may have seen them featured in Vogue, Glamour, Motherly, and Pregnancy and Newborn magazines. They're made by a mom for parents everywhere. Where can you get a beluga wrap, Alex? You can pick up the wraps at babybeluga.ca or babybeluga.com. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTreat10, you're going to find yourself getting 10% off. Now, back to our interview with Amy Webb. So I had a question because I have good intentions, obviously, but I'm terribly yeah. awkward in situations, especially when I, I've never encountered them before. Other, right. The other day, I'm on my front lawn. A person in a wheelchair goes by. I'm with my two-year-old daughter. And Lucy, that's her name, she had never seen a person in a wheelchair before. And right. she goes, what's that? And the person's yeah. going by. They're going by fairly slow, too. And they're within earshot. They can hear me. And I'm just like, uh, that's cool. That's cool. That- <laughs> yeah. And she's like, yeah, is yeah. that a motorcycle? But I'm like panicking and then I'm feeling so yeah. bad. What, what, what should I have said in that situation, especially with the person there within earshot? I'm talking yeah. to a two-year-old with limited capacity and somebody with full functionality and can understand. I just didn't know how to handle that situation. Totally. And I think... I- I think it's one of those things too, that like, it's okay, you know, don't like beat yourself. Cause I've heard both of you say like, oh, I feel so bad. I didn't think of this. And I think I didn't either until I had a daughter, right? Like, so I can sit here and like pretend to be the expert now, but like, I was just as ignorant for so long and even years into the journey because she's not like she was born, had a wheelchair right yeah. right away or all these things. And so the first thing I would say is that you, I think even saying something like as cool is great because it does reinforce a positive thing. So yeah. what, one of the big problems is that people still tend to see 
and think of disability again as inherently negative. And so for a long time, even you go a generation older than us, like they didn't use the word disabled because that alone was a negative word. And so that's why a lot of people have come up with word like differently abled and like special needs. And that's what people in the disability community. Now, again, I'm generalizing. I'm not disabled. So I try not to speak for the disability community. But again, I did years of interviews. So I did like over 240 interviews. So I, I do try to come from a place of like, and I still follow and listen to disabled people. So I'm just trying to like, communicate what I've learned. But disability is an identity and it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be proud of. So when we talk to our children using the word disability and saying it in a very like nonchalant, yeah, like like that's a wheelchair and just saying what it is and like, oh, that person has a wheelchair. They probably can't walk like you and I can. And so they use a wheelchair to get around. Isn't that cool? It's so stupid, but it's weird. It's like, I didn't want to remind the person that they can't walk. I didn't want to be like, right. oh, they can't walk. And I was I was like, oh, they know they can't walk. Maybe but like sounds it almost sounds as if like I, I get completely what he's saying, because it's yeah. like if I was to say it, are they going to take it as me saying it as if I'm better or as if I right. am? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and again, like maybe maybe there will be someone who is offended by it. I can't say mm-hmm. that no one ever wouldn't be. But the overall, again, what I've learned is that really embracing disability as an identity and not something to be ashamed of. Just the same way when your kid says like, why is their skin darker? You wouldn't be like, um, gosh, uh, they have like this darker melanin thing. You know, it's like we'd say they're black. Like that's the, that's their race. You know, like we don't mm-hmm. think of black as like this negative, scary word to avoid. We say it for what it is and know that it's like an identity they're proud of, right? Yeah. See, I'm even scared to say if a black person walked by, I'd be scared. Maybe recently with the yeah. recent events, I'd be more confident. But I, I would two months ago, I'd probably be very scared to say that's a black man, yeah. especially yeah. if he was within earshot, because I wasn't sure if that was even yeah. offensive. Well, and that's kind of what brought us to you, Amy, was because we were trying to navigate our conversations around race with Lucy. And, yeah. you know, that's talking about her Barbie doll skin color, because she has all different yeah. ones, her baby doll. She's a black baby doll. And then yeah. Shane approached this situation, you know, while we're having this conversation in which you saw somebody in a wheelchair. And then it was like, yeah. even though we're having these conversations about race now, it seems yeah. different. And it's, again, you're starting from ground zero when you're trying to navigate it when it comes to disability. Let me also say, so again, as I'm moving through this experience with my daughter and realizing that kids have all these questions, right? They're yeah. naturally curious and they don't know any better. And I, and I always came from it from that point of like, I want to give this grace to them because I mm-hmm. know but they don't know any better. But then it was also like one day, eventually it just sort of clicked that like the reason they don't know any better and the reason they have all these questions is because they never see anyone yeah. like my daughter in the world around them. They don't see them in their TV shows and their Disney movies in their children's books. And it was that realization that the lack of representation mm-hmm. on a macro level, how it affects us on a micro level and how that affected us was a very disruptive life in public for her when she was around other kids who just you know, and especially with her kind of disability, because it's so visual. Yeah. I mean, doesn't have an arm from, you know, it goes above her left arm is missing from or quote missing, whatever, just went there um, from above her, her elbow. And that's mm-hmm. a really like kids. It was to, to realize that kids like didn't even know that was possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. really just like their mind is kind of blown by a disability like that. And so not to put a plug in for my book, but then I wrote, I don't know if you know that I, I wrote a children's yes. book. Let's plug it. Okay, let's plug it. Uh, 
Because it was this realization of a few different things of like, I see parents want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But when their kid says that thing in public, that's so embarrassing. Like, what's that? What's that motorized thing? Or why is she missing an arm? Parents freeze and they didn't know what to do. And I was like, man, I feel for them because I wouldn't have known what to do Mm -hmm. before. What's the book called? It's called When Charlie Met Emma. I know this is backwards. No, that's not backwards on us. Yeah. Oh, it's not. Okay. So it's when Charlie met Emma. And if you can see the main character, Emma looks a lot like my daughter. So she doesn't have any hands. She's in a wheelchair, a little different than my daughter. And my daughter knows she is not Emma, (laughs) that it's a character. So the book actually kind of walks you through that scenario of what happens Mm -hmm. Um, when there's a little boy who goes to a park one day, he sees this girl and he's like, whoa, like, and he says out loud, like, why does she look so weird, mom? And And the mom's like, oh my gosh, what'd I do? And then, so it models for you, like, as a caregiver, what you can do and models for kids, how to get through this situation. But at the same time, what was sort of like the, the like super sneaky thing about this is if you have a book like this in your house, you're much less likely to have that scenario because you've already talked about disability, right? Like you have this thing where you can sit down like this is a tool and it has pictures of other people in the book who, you know, has some other disabilities that are discussed. And so I do think that doing everything we can to fill our homes with diverse books, with diverse mm-hmm. shows, and, and, and that's hard for disability. Do you know uh, of any in existence? There, well, for young, young children, I don't know of one. Mm-hmm. I know that there is a Netflix show called I can't remember it, but, the, but that, that's well, if, an issue. The fact you that you don't even know it, you yeah. can't recall the one <laughs> yeah. that is right. That's a huge issue. That's well, it's, it's huge. So it's something like 91%, one to 3% of TV shows have disability represented. Mm-hmm. 95% of those characters are played by non-disabled actors. Well, And so, you, you know, you have such small representation anyway, and then you just don't, have people within the community one who want work as actors Mm -hmm. you know to and it's like gosh if I can't get a role playing like the disability that I am like what you know and then obviously not having that that authentic view to it and and there's there's a whole thing you know nothing about us without us is what a lot of disabled people say because a lot of the movies and things that do feature disabled people that people tend to think of as like Rain Man right like that's not written from the point of view of someone who's actually autistic or I know there was like a big thing I mean, think about like Million Dollar Baby, or there's a movie a couple of years ago that I didn't see called Me Before You, where people become disabled and they kill themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like it's suicide, you know, like that's what Million Dollar Baby is. She becomes disabled and she's like, please kill me. Right. And then same with Me Before You, it was like, he's this disabled guy who falls in love with like his aide and he's like, he kills himself. So she doesn't have to like chain her life to him. And, and, awesome. and it's so interesting when you think about like the message that sends, mm-hmm. and then you have someone like, you know, Christopher Reeve who was this actor who became disabled, he didn't want to die. You know, like he loved, like how he still embraced He was severely disabled. Yeah. Right. And he went from like, right, to having so much autonomy to having very little and yet still did so much with his life and still lived his life. So I think, you know, looking at those stories too and what are they saying about Mm -hmm. disability and how are they presenting it, you know, is is really Mm eye-opening. And it's interesting because your book is like, we were just stocking up on books that were more inclusive and had a variety of races, but we didn't even think to get a book that featured disabled people. Mm -hmm. And it's odd because that is actually something Lucy would come in contact with less and be more likely to put yeah. everyone in an awkward position by pointing out. So I think your yeah. book is so yeah. important and we have to pick that up. And I, I think it's so crucial too to note that, you know, like just like us, just like anybody, every situation in life is so dynamic. Right. And you were kind of touching on that before. And 
every person's not going to handle it the same way. Like we talk right. about the black population. They're not a monolith. They don't like the same terms being used. There's going to be differences of opinion. It's going to be like right. that in the world of, how do I say the dis- Disability. The dis- disabled? The dis- yeah, yeah. The disabled community as well. And again, so listeners, like I, you know, if we fumble over things, we're sorry, but we are trying to get better as always. And Amy, I love that you have this book and it is so fantastic. So I love that you model the behavior, not only for kind of the parents, but also for the kids, because that is so important. And when you have dummies like Shane and I, who come come across situations and we are well-meaning and and we don't want to say something wrong and we understand that disability doesn't necessarily mean a harder life or it definitely doesn't mean less than trying to explain that to a kid. I didn't even understand that until just now, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it is hard and and books like yours are so crucial. Representation is so, so crucial. So I just want to remind the listeners what your book is called, where they can get it and where they can find you if they want more representation in their Instagram feeds. Awesome. Thank you. So my book is called When Charlie Met Emma. You can get it on uh, barnesandnoble.com obviously Amazon. I know a lot of people are really pushing like your local indie bookstores right now. And so you can go to indiebound.com and that will, um, at least in the US, I'm not sure about Canada, that puts you in touch with like a local bookstore to mm-hmm. order it from. Awesome. And I do, I don't know if you guys know this, I actually have a second book coming out in September. Mm. Congrats. It's a, thank you. It's a continuation of the story. And this one's called Awesomely Emma. That's amazing. And so this, the first one's written from the perspective of Charlie. This next one's written from the perspective of Emma. And it actually is exciting for me. Sorry, I, I really do nerd out about like disability <laughs> stuff. So I've been learning a lot about, you know, you brought up like schools and, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. So I've been learning a lot about the disability rights movement here in the United States and how that started. And this July, actually, the 26th is the 30 year anniversary of the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, mm-hmm. which was the most wide sweeping. Was that the uh, sit-in? That, that, the sit-in was actually the 504, okay. which was a precursor to that. So that was in the late 70s. That right. was when they took over the San Francisco that building. That was amazing, yeah. Yeah, we saw that I mean, documentary, yeah. yeah. Badass, right? Yeah. I mean, so those good. people, like they, they, and they really are like my superheroes, like Judy Human. Oh my God, yeah. She's just like, I mean, she's 73 now, and she started doing this when she was like in her 20s. Because yeah, she, she couldn't go to school. You know, I have goosebumps she, thinking about that documentary. Yeah, it was so cool. It made me feel so powerful. Mm-hmm. So, like, did you guys watch Crip Camp yet on Netflix? Yes. That's what we saw. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh, that's the documentary. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because there's a different shorter one that I linked to my stories the other day. So I went, that was specifically about 504. So the Crip Camp does, it takes you through all mm-hmm. that. And then eventually you get to the ADA. So but I mean, I think about like this woman who like, she started doing this, you know, because she couldn't go to school. Yeah. I mean, she just like, wasn't able to go to school. And then when she was, it was like, mm-hmm. for sure, a second rate, if not third rate education. Absolutely. And a place to stick them for the day, basically. And she's just as smart as anyone. And, and to see that she was like, the 80 got passed like in her 40s, you know, and she was doing that all these years. Like, I just sometimes I'm like, man, people don't understand. And, and the thing is, it's like, you know, to think that like, I never had to think about that. Yeah. I mm-hmm. never had to think exactly. that my daughter yeah. wouldn't be able to go to school. Well, it's funny. I had the ability to go to school and I just never went. I just skipped all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then there's people like you. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I mean, I was I was the same place in high school for sure. But anyway, so I just I, you know, it's it's that idea of like taking these things for granted, too, yeah. and just not realizing like, it didn't come because people are like, you know, really good hearted, you know, mm-hmm. Congress people around like, Oh, man, we should for sure make sure all of our kids can get educated equally. It came because 
a bunch of these like badass disabled people like demanded it yeah. for yeah. decades. So, oh, but I was gonna say, so the cool thing, so my next book, Awesomely Emma, what, what makes me so excited is because I do focus a lot in that book about accessibility and the importance of that. And so I just that's think great. like, and it's so cool that it's like the 30 year anniversary of the ADA and how important that is, so. No, that's um, amazing. Anyway, so that book, that book will be coming out September 15th and you can find it on the same platforms. Perfect. We'll and be then, excited to get our hands on it because yeah, we, we definitely, yeah, we definitely need that in our house. That is yeah. very awesome. And Thank so you. people can find you on Instagram. Yes. Where? At this little Miggy. This little Miggy. Um, yeah. So what's like, that name about? So Miggy, uh, so my blog is this little Miggy stayed home and Miggy actually comes from my middle name, which is Manon, M-I-G-N-O-N as in filet. Oh, gotcha. um, but it's but it means cute in French. But ah, oui. <laughs> my parents did not know that when they made it. <laughs> okay. They did know that it meant cute. It was a friend of my mom in college was naming on and she liked the name. So. Nice. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Amy, thank you so much for shedding some light on things that Shane and I definitely Absolutely. don't know enough about talking about representation. And honestly, listeners, get your hands on this book. I can guarantee you don't have enough disabled representation in your bookshelves. So Amy, thank you again. And uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks thank you guys. You. Absolutely. Talking to you. All Take right. care. Have a good one. All right. So I'm so glad that we spoke to Amy because I honestly, Shane, I would have been in the same position as you if I was thrown into dealing with that with Lucy. Uh, no, but I think Amy is great and I want her book. I think that'd be so cute. Well, there's only one way to get it. Buy it. Buy it. So, Shane, we are now into the last portion of the show, which are listener questions. Do people like listener questions? I love listener questions. I'm going to say I love it. We do appreciate them. So please submit. It makes the show so much fun to uh, for us and gives us a chance to connect with you. First question. Do you find two babies strenuous for your relationship? Hmm. Strenuous for the podcast here. Oh my god! We've well, had this thing oohing and on the entire time. But is it strenuous for the relationship? I would think it has to be for our relationship. We have only been alone with the baby for two weeks, eight days. No, we had a week at the beginning and a week just that passed. Four days at the beginning. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Mm-hmm. So eight days in total. We've had your parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking after her a lot and we've had Nona uh, living here so I'm scared when we're actually left alone to our own devices with just two kids for a month and especially like I haven't gone back to work yet I go back to work next week I think all hell is going to break loose that's why I bring this puttering plan that you so adamantly (laughs) want to fight like anything I bring up you want to fight me I don't and that's such a negative uh, way to look on this is i guess fighting what you just said but that's such a negative way to look on you know when it is back to just being us i don't think all hells can break loose do well, you I had think... a negative view of puttering at first too yeah well listen i'm just saying do i think it's going to be more stressful yes do i think that there's going to be a lot more crying around the house because we have one less set of hands i can get to a baby yes but i think it's going to be fine and honestly like it's not the kids themselves it's everything that comes with it so the extra mess the extra feeding the fact that i'm that's why i'm saying the puttering thing is going to save the marriage all right well let's do it i didn't know that we were in such dire straits with the marriage babe i've been keeping it inside (laughs) all right next question how did you guys meet no we've answered this quite a bit Mm -hmm. oh we met on a uh music video set a music video set and then rekindled through via tinder why are you guys so nervous to go out 
So I am pretty vocal about the fact that I have lupus, which makes me immunocompromised and it makes me high risk for COVID. So that, you know, is it makes all of our decisions in this, you know, weird pandemic environment for us. But I think like if you're talking about like, why don't we go out to socially distance with people and why don't we like go out to restaurants and things like that if we're wearing masks and sanitizing? Honestly, I just, it's hard for me to trust that many people when you're in an environment where, there, where there's more people than, you know, just the two of us or just our parents or something. It's like, if you're at a restaurant, my thinking is like, okay, I have to ensure that the people at this table before me didn't get sick and leave droplets, that it was cleaned properly, that the waiter is okay, that the person making my food is okay. And honestly, I think it would make me sick from worry just going out. But what mm-hmm. what about you? Like, What would make you, Shane, like nervous about? Well, there's so many reasons. It's like there's a pandemic going on. Yeah. Like, it To me, it just seems so obvious. But to a lot of people, they're sick and tired and uh, things have loosened up. But things can also tighten very quickly. And this all started with one person. Yes. And it can get out of control very quickly. And also, job, job security. If I'm going out all the time and eating, doing doing all these things that I would do normally, then I lose my job. Like I'm trying to hold on to as much money as possible just mm-hmm. so we have something to last us an extra month if, yeah. if something does really go terribly wrong. Well, in Australia, I had a few people on my Instagram account telling me and they relaxed the rules before we did and they are now back in only essential businesses you're on curfew oh. it's crazy we had not so mumsy on and when uh, this was months yeah. ago yeah and she was taking her kids to school and i was like oh wow australia really loosened up now they're back in it worse yeah. than we ever were yeah so it's scary yeah the, for those reasons it's like you know going looking at other countries it's a little bit like a time machine mm-hmm. you can either see what it's like a couple months ago for us or what it's going to be like in a couple months in the future depending yeah. on where they're at or, or what stage in the game they're at yeah it's pretty easy to see the writing on the wall because every country is its own ecosystem mm-hmm. and you can see what happens when these countries have let the rules go and people do go out to dinner and party and the kids go back to school and i respect everyone's decision absolutely yeah but i gotta be this way yeah no for us this is what's working and like we're the oddballs out the majority of our friends are doing distance hangs going to restaurants patios whatnot but for us this is what we have to do to just to feel good about our safety all right what birth control are you guys using to make sure that you don't have another kit uh abstinence for now (laughs) (laughs) abstinence is 100 percent effective it works incredibly and uh my catholic school teachers i'm sure would love to hear that really they don't they like marriage sex though marriage sex of course but you know just promoting promoting of abstinence i know we do have some single listeners but abstinence works and after that just playing it cool and popping out we haven't popped out like there's been no popping in there's been no popping in, but I'm saying when there is popping in again. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm a fan of co- coitus interruptus. Oh, What's it coitus called? interruptus. I'm a fan of coitus interruptus. Good term. Forgot about that one. All right. Favorite apps on your phone? Uh, Uber Eats is a good one. Uber Eats is the best one. Instacart is another great one. And we can't ignore Instagram. I mean, Instagram. Like, Instagram's like the Paul McCartney of apps. It's so good, oh you don't even want to say it. Oh, and I like Color Story for photos. That's what I edit all my photos on, and it's awesome. It's so easy to use, and a bonehead like me can Let use me it. Look. I like my. It sounds simplistic, but I like my calculator app. 
Whoa. What? Look at all this vomit on my shoulder. It's chunky, guys. This is disgusting. I'm talking about the calculator app, please. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> the I'm, lowly calculator app. I like the weather app. Ooh. I I lo- oh, I love the podcast app. And I'm sure everybody on here loves the podcast app. I also love just the music app. Apple? iTunes. Apple. iTunes. Yeah, we have a monthly iTunes subscription. <laughs> the best. I don't really think we're opening anyone's eyes to new <laughs> cool apps. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I got a couple. If you are, uh, you know, one for posting on Instagram and things, I need some help, you know, just making my feed look good. I don't have a great natural aesthetic and things like that. So I use an app called Planoly. And that helps me just make sure that everything is along the same vibe, like color scheme, things like that. So that is so helpful. For editing videos, I love an app called Splice. It's super easy to use, very user-friendly. And I'm not an editor, like Shane does that for his work. I'm not an editor by any means. But Splice makes me feel like I am. And actually, Shane likes the videos that I do on there. I think you have a good editor's mindset. I have an app now that you just talked about. Let's Those two. It. This is an app for pizza. It's called the Domino's Pizza app. <laughs> now, once you get six pizzas, <laughs> you get a free pizza. So every pizza gives you 10 points. 60 points gives you a free pie. And we have 50 of 60 points right now. <gasps> That's exciting. So, yeah, I really like it. It does save you money. Uh, you know, if, if you eat pizza every week, like we do anyway, you know, you're not really going out of your way to get more pizza like the app wants you to do. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a great app. I have two more. So there's an app called unfold and it's really good for making tidy looking stories. Uh, you can put pictures and videos and things in there. That's how I do all of our podcast promos. And lastly, spacey. It just gives you space breaks and line breaks in your captions without having to do like the weird period thing and whatnot. And of course, Tinder, that's how we ended up meeting. Through but no longer on the phones. It's not on the phones? Why? Well, because we deleted Tinder. Oh, I didn't yeah. Even uh, yeah, but it's one of my favorite apps that I'm app. not using currently. But you never know. Let's see how this puttering <laughs> thing works out. Yeah. Okay. So, is your current home your forever home and any tips for surviving a renovation? So, we haven't been through a renovation. My parents did when I was young, and we lived with my grandmother my dad's mom and that was really stressful for my mother and i think for their relationship because it was a tiny house so i think just get out as much as you can whether it's on your own or with the kids or as a family and do as much as you can to get away from the chaos but we just said we don't leave the house during pandemics no but just for a a renovation getting out of the house can be going for a walk walk, going to play outside like anything like that but for us i i love the house that we're in and i'd consider it a forever home i'd be so happy not to leave here yeah barring some lottery win or something like yeah uh but for renovation i would say make your room just like a your safe space like a utopia so when you're in your room you feel like you're kind of away from all the chaos and you can kind mm-hmm. of hide out there we have a projector in our room so sometimes like no matter how crazy it is down here or out of control it, if we're in the room and have like a little bed fort I feel like cozy and comfortable. Our room is a total fort. Yeah. We even have like funky disco lights in there. It's amazing. Yeah. So just as long as you have one room in the house that like if, if being very clean is your thing, have one room that's super clean that you can just go into and kind of be calm and not worry about the mess that's everywhere else in the house. Yeah, 100%. And the last 
question is not a question. It's just somebody named P. Henley saying, literally love listening to you and your husband. Keep it up. Such great content. P. Henley, thank you so much. P. Hunley. Henley. Oh, like P. Don Henley. Henley. Oh, cool. Thanks, P. Henley. All right, so that's the episode. It is. We have some big guests coming up. We got the Skinny Confidential. That's such a good one. We got Wells Adams. and uh, We got a bunch of others. I don't even want to say. I'll get too excited. I might just <laughs> explode. But... Um, <laughs> If you like listening to the podcast, please do not hesitate to go rate us. Leave us a comment. We really, really appreciate it. There's an algorithm. We need in the rhythm. If we're not in the rhythm, we're out of it. And then something really bad (laughs) happens then. Uh, But thank you so much for listening to this Family Tree Podcast Podcast, episode episode 49. 49.